In this session in our study of the letter to the Philippian church, we are looking at Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 18, at least most of 18. We're going to leave off the last little phrase of verse 18 because it leads into the next paragraph. So Philippians 1, 12 through 18. And in this particular section, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he is offering really a update on his circumstances, but it turns out to be much more than that. And it turns out to be different than what we would expect. And so Again, in a letter such as this, it wasn't uncommon to give a little update on your circumstances. We often do that in uh, personal correspondences as well. And so, you know, the Philippian church has sent Epaphroditus to check on Paul. They've sent a gift to care for him. And obviously, they're wondering how he's doing in prison and how things are going there um, in his uh probably house arrest in Rome if we've got our circumstances figured out right. They want to know how it's going for him and so they're looking for a news report and so this section Philippians 1 12 and following begins that news report on his circumstances and yet as I said it turns out to be much more than that. It really turns out to to model for the Philippian church the very kinds of things that Paul is going to call them to in the rest of the letter. And so he's using his circumstances and his perspective on his circumstances as an example for how the Philippians ought to be viewing their circumstances and how they ought to view uh, really their, the circumstances of their life and their life situation and some of the things going on for them in town. So with that, let's jump in. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, as Paul begins to address his circumstances and let them know how he's doing, he says this, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That's the first place we need to stop and just note some things. So notice what he says, uh, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That word progress is the idea of to advance in spite of obstacles. Picture maybe, you know, some jungle movie where they're, you know, blazing a trail through the jungle and the guy out in front has his machete and he's hacking through all the undergrowth and all that. That's the idea of this word progress. It's this idea of to kind of clear away the obstacles and make progress and move forward in spite of difficulty or in spite of obstacles. And Paul is saying that his circumstances, which his circumstances are being in prison, being under arrest because of preaching the gospel, and most likely in Rome, we'll talk about that more here in a second, and so that my circumstances, as seemingly uh, problematic as they are, as negative as they could appear to, to seem, his circumstances have turned out for the greater progress, the greater advance of the gospel. The other note to make here at verse 12 is, what happens here is, instead of telling them about how he's doing, what Paul does in this update on his circumstances is really tell them how the gospel is doing. And that only makes sense because for Paul, he is so caught up in the gospel, his vocation, his calling, and his work before God, right? His life's ambition is such that it's so tied up with the gospel that if the gospel is doing well, Paul is doing well, even if personally he's not really. And so his circumstances are less than ideal. He is um, under house arrest. 
He is chained to a Roman soldier, uh, according to Acts chapter 28. He isn't able to travel and preach. And so it seems like, man, this is not a good situation for Paul and even for his vocation and his ministry. And yet, in the providence and the power of God, his imprisonment has led to the greater progress of the gospel. How so? Well, he lists off in what follows two ways. Two ways that the gospel has advanced and progressed in spite of his imprisonment. Verse 13, he tells us the first way. He says, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ, or more literally, my imprisonment in Christ, which is a short way to say, for Paul, everything was in Christ, my imprisonment because of my connection with Jesus. So in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. So that's the first way the gospel has progressed uh, during his imprisonment. Um, it has progressed through becoming known through the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. What does he mean by that? Well, um, as it seems best, this is probably Paul's Roman imprisonment. In fact, that phrase Praetorian Guard probably points in that direction. It was occasionally used of other things, such as a, a tent where the Praetorian Guard stayed or something like that. But most specifically, the Praetorian Guard referred to uh, a kind of a like the emperor's elite troops who were stationed in Rome and who carried out specific um, military tasks and even uh, specific tasks such as guarding prisoners on behalf of the emperor. Well, Paul had appealed to the emperor and uh, was sent to Rome at the end of the book of Acts, and that's probably where we find him here. So, Paul is probably being guarded by the Praetorian Guard, and hence we're dealing with this imprisonment that's in the city of Rome that's described in Acts chapter 28. You can read about it more there. And if that's the case, then Paul's circumstances are such he's in his own apartment. He has his own quarters, probably a one-room flat, that he has to pay his own room and board for, and hence the reason the Philippian church sent him a gift. And he has a prisoner that's chained to him day and night. or He has a guard, sorry, a guard that's chained to him day and night. And, and that guard will rotate on shift and off shift. Well, you can only imagine what that means, all right? First of all, we know from Acts 28 that he's having visitors, some of them are um, members of the Jewish synagogue there in Rome, that are coming to him, listening to him explain the gospel, listening to explain why he's convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. So the soldier that's uh, chained to him has to listen in to Paul kind of walk through the scriptures and explain Jesus, the Messiah, and his resurrection and defend all of that. Um, the soldier has to listen to him, explain all that, teach all that, preach all that to these Jewish leaders. So he's going to hear about it then. Um, not only that, uh, I'm sure Paul figures, well, if the guard is going to be chained to me, I've got a captive audience. And so Paul is sharing with him why he's convinced that Jesus is king and Lord over all the world, risen from the dead. So you can only imagine what's going to happen back in the barracks when the guard goes off shift, new guard comes, Paul's got a new captive audience, he's going to tell him about it, and the previous guard goes back to the barracks, and now with all the other members of the Praetorian Guard, you can imagine at least a little bit of 
Uh, it doesn't take much to realize he's going back and he's telling people about this guy. I, I'm guarding this Jewish prisoner, and he is convinced that this Jewish rabbi who was executed by uh, you know, the procurator uh, Pilate 30 years ago was risen from the dead, came back to life, and is the Lord of all the world. I mean, you, you, it doesn't take ma- much for to imagine. Now the rumor is circulating through the barracks as they're all laughing about this idea. They're sharing this this story, and how in the world could it possibly be somebody we crucified come back to life? That's just not possible. That's not right. They're talking about this. Paul doesn't say they're necessarily coming to faith. Paul does say that his imprisonment for the sake of Messiah, King Jesus, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. And everyone else probably refers to the other members of the emperor's household, which is where the now, Paul would be, or the Praetorian Guard would be stationed, and Paul's story is going to be told. And so the news about Jesus, the news about him being the Messiah, the news about the evidence of his Messiahship, namely the resurrection, is spreading right there, not just in Rome, but very at the control center of Rome itself, right there among the emperor's elite troops and in the members of the emperor's very own household. Amazing how God has used Paul's imprisonment to spread the name of Jesus and the message about his resurrection there in Rome. So that's the first way that the gospel is progressed uh, while Paul is in prison. The second way in verse 14 is this, and that most of the brethren, meaning most of the fellow Christians there in Rome, so that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so the second way that the gospel has advanced and progressed while Paul's in prison is it has inspired the other Christians there in Rome to share the word. Like, man, if if Paul can't preach and if Paul is actually in prison for preaching, I certainly can tell my neighbor about Jesus. I can tell the other ladies when we're at the laundromat about Jesus. I can tell the other guys when we're at the public baths or at the gym about Jesus. And so now the 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 Paul's fellow Christians in Rome are beginning to talk a little bit more about Jesus as Messiah and begin to share the story and has inspired them and stirred them up to be more confident, more courageous in their witness for Jesus. That's the second way that the gospels progressed because of Paul's imprisonment. Um, notice what he says, that they're trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. And so um, Paul's imprisonment has stirred them up and given them confidence. And so now, by virtue of that confidence and faith in Jesus, they're going to share this message. And it says they have far more courage to speak the word. Literally, that they're far more daring is the idea. They're far more daring, is the idea of that word curse there, to speak the word of God fearlessly. And so they're taking greater risks and being far more daring to speak the message of, of God about Jesus fearlessly. And so as a result, the gospel has progressed there in town in Rome. Now, from there, Paul goes on and, and points out Kind of a a negative thing that's also going on as a result of all of this. And yet, it doesn't um, affect Paul's attitude, and it doesn't discourage Paul's perspective. And part of that, again, is he's using his circumstances 
uh, to really model for the Philippian church how they ought to look at their circumstances. So listen to what he says. He's going to describe in verses 15 through 18 that some of this preaching that has been stirred up because of his imprisonment is not being done from a, a good heart, from pure motives. There are some people who are, yes, they're preaching Jesus, but they're doing so with uh, kind of a ill intent towards Paul. Listen to what he says, verse 15. Some, some of those who are speaking the word of God more fearlessly, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, from bad motives, right, from rivalry and from envy and strife, like, you know, friction and contention is the idea of strife, uh, but some from goodwill. So you have different people. Some are preaching uh, out of some sort of envy and strife. Some are doing it from a good heart, from a good will. The latter, those from a good will, verse 16, do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. So they do it out of love for Paul, love for Jesus, love for the gospel. And they know that Paul can't preach. And since Paul is in prison, they're getting out there and they're going to share the message. And so they've got a good heart and they've got a good will for it, right? The others, the former, those who do it from envy and strife, listen to this. Those, the former, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. That word selfish ambition means rivalry. Uh, it was used in a political context in Paul's world to talk about rival parties, right? And how they're always working an angle to get ahead and they're always trying to put the other person down. We know how that goes in the political, you know, environment of our day. Well, it's that idea of rivalry and working an angle and using others to get ahead and climbing the corporate ladder and trying to push others down so you can get ahead and using people's negative circumstances to advantage yourself. That's the idea of the selfish ambition. So the former are proclaiming Jesus out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. And the way Paul describes their selfish ambition is thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment, thinking to make Paul feel bad that he can't be out there preaching, thinking that to make Paul feel bad that their reputation and their influence and their audience and, you know, and their impact is growing and more people are hearing about them than they're hearing about Paul or whatever it is. We don't know exactly what was going on. It's just that they have some sort of self-serving, self-centered, envious, strife-causing motive that's aimed at Paul and causing Paul distress and imprisonment. How is Paul going to respond to that? How would you respond to that? How would I respond to that? Well, listen to how Paul responds to that in verse 18. He says, what then? Well, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. How does Paul respond to these people who are preaching out of bad motives? He's like, you know what? It's not going to cause me any distress. It doesn't matter who gets the credit to me. What matters to me is that Jesus is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so there's Paul sitting in prison, difficult circumstances. Uh, the gospel is progressing, and he rejoices in that. Uh, some are preaching Jesus out of bad motives, and guess what? He's like, it doesn't matter to me as long as Jesus preached. I rejoice in that. And so Paul is rejoicing simply that the gospel is progressing. Now let's push pause and let me just reflect on something that I think is an important clarification for us. Here in this circumstance, as Paul writes these words, uh, 
um, he he says, I'm just going to rejoice in this. And there's no sense of, you know, hostility. There's no sense of agitation towards uh, those who are preaching out of bad motives. In the book of Galatians, uh, Paul, when he writes that letter, there are people who are coming in and they're kind of coming into the church as Paul started. And Paul is incensed in Galatians. Paul is upset. Um, he actually even says in Galatians chapter 1, if anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. He says it twice. If an angel from heaven even comes and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be under God's wrath. What's the difference between what's going on in Galatians and what's going on here in Philippians? What's the difference? Well, the difference is fundamentally this. In Galatians, it's a different gospel. It's not the true gospel. It's not the message about Jesus. And that's why he's upset. And that's why he tees off on them. But here in Philippians, they're preaching Jesus. They're preaching the true gospel. They're, they're actually proclaiming Christ. They're just doing it from bad motives. Um, and so Paul's like, look, I'm just grateful that Jesus is being preached. I recognize they're doing it from false motives, impure motives, but they're preaching Jesus and the name about Jesus and the true gospels going forward, so I rejoice in that. And that's the fundamental difference. And so when it's a false gospel, when it's a twisting or a corruption of the gospels, like in Galatians, Paul Paul says, nope, we are going to, we're gonna, we're gonna call that out, we're gonna put a stop to that. But when it's the true gospel being preached, even if it's being preached in a false sort of uh, from pure motives or impure motives that's trying to really stir up you know, distress for me. It's like, it doesn't really matter to me who gets the credit. All I want is the gospel to be preached. And so I'll rejoice in that. And that's the fundamental difference between the two. It's an important clarification. The other thing to pay attention here in uh, Philippians is that Paul is not writing to these people with uh, bad motives, it doesn't seem. Um, they're not primarily the audience. It's the Philippian church, and maybe these people aren't even a part of that. I don't really know. Um, but Paul does point out their motives, and, you know, if they do hear this letter, that's enough to get them, you know, to get their attention and stir them up. But really, he just wants to encourage the Philippian church to have the same attitude, the same perspective that he has. Uh, that attitude that rejoices in the fact that the gospel is going forward. And so, in this paragraph, let me just highlight as we uh, kind of wrap up this section, a couple things for us to reflect on, a couple implications that would help us as we think through how to apply this section to our life. Um, Paul, as I said, has used his circumstances to model really the perspective and attitude he wishes for the Philippian church to have, and by extension for us to have as followers of Jesus as well. Well, the first attitude he wants them to have is this, a greater concern for the well-being of the gospel than for their personal well-being. When Paul sets out to describe his circumstances, his circumstances are all tied up with the gospel. And since the gospel is going well, he's doing well. And he wants them and he wants us to have that same sort of perspective, that same sort of mindset that... Uh, our well-being matters less than the gospel's well-being. And so if the gospel is being advanced, even if things are difficult for us or challenging for us, let's rejoice that the gospel is going well.
I think of various times where, uh, for example, I had a job once where I was getting the opportunity to share Jesus with a number of people. I was actually passing out some Bibles. I was looked to as sort of uh, almost an advice giver and being able to point people to the wisdom of God and Jesus. I actually ended up baptizing a co-worker who ended up baptizing his wife. I mean, the gospel was progressing through a job that was a miserable job. And I, for a long time, had a very bad attitude uh, because I was more concerned with my personal well-being than the gospel's well-being. That's not what Paul is modeling for us here, right? Uh, if I had learned the lesson here of Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18, I could have uh, had a positive attitude because the gospel was progressing, even though the job itself was a very... Um, unpleasant, kind of miserable job with a miserable boss that was poorly run. True? Um, so, greater concern for the well-being of the gospel than for personal well-being. That's attitude number one that Paul models for us. The second attitude that Paul models for us here in this section of Philippians is an unwillingness to be angered and moved to personal vengeance by people's proud and selfish and even anti-Paul, anti-me motives. Um, that Paul is like, look, they may be against me. They may be trying to cause me distress. They may want to take it out on me. Uh, but you know what? They're preaching Jesus, and I am happy about that. And I rejoice in that. Um, and so I, I'm confident that if Paul could sit down with those people who had the bad motives, he would, he would call them on it. He would challenge them on it. He would point out for them in some way that, uh, that their motives are beneath the very gospel that they're preaching, but he's not going to get all riled up about it, and he's not going to take, you know, personal, kind of go on his own personal vendetta just because they're, they're opposed to him, or they're out to get him, or they don't like him. Um, and again, that's such an important that's such an important, uh, really, mindset for us to have that Paul models, that when we do a lot of work in ministry and someone else steps up and takes the credit, um, when, you know, we, we work hard and, and we're actually volunteering and giving and giving and giving, and we never get noticed, but someone else gets noticed. I mean, that, those things happen in ministry. Those things happen in volunteering or serving in the church, and Paul's like, Let's not care who gets the credit. Let's not care how, how it affects us so much. Let's care that Jesus and the gospel is being preached. And so Paul has set really a solid example for the Philippians and for us about how we should view our personal circumstances and what really should matter to us. For Paul, his life was all tied up with the gospel. And as long as the gospel was doing well, he was doing well. He wants us to have the same perspective.